Hello, listeners. This is the Eclipse Viewer, episode 63, Ingrid Bergman's Swedish Years, part two. As usual, it's me, David Blakesley, and my good friend and partner, co-host, Trevor Barrett. Hello, Trevor. Oh, hello, David. Do we need to make a big deal about us finishing the Eclipse series again? Yes, did... we are once again complete. <laughs> Trumpet fanfares and confetti cannons all around. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe not quite as a monumental feeling as when we finished that uh, late Ozu set where we had really run the entire shelf. Uh, as, as it will be going forward, whatever else the Eclipse series has in store for us, uh, Trevor and I will uh, remount our steeds and... and uh, you know, charge into the fray. Uh, we'll just cover the Eclipse series as new volumes arise and uh, talk about them like like we've been doing for several years now. Uh, but yeah, we are completing the series, at least as far as it stands at the moment. And that's always a good feeling. I agree. I'm excited. I, and and yes, I, I, I think I won't make such a big deal of it anymore <laughs> because it will be who knows what the quality of the of these sets are going to be, the ones in the future. But, you know, if we were choosing another one to end on, I actually think this is a pretty darn good one to do it with. It, it, true. If this is the last of the Eclipse series, if they end at uh, series 46, I will say they had a pretty good run of it. Uh, I still have a sense that there's more yet to come. Uh, there's even films coming up in my... Uh, Criterion Reflections podcast. There's a Berlanga film. Uh, was it Long Live the Bride and Groom? Something like that. And there's just all kinds of you know currently film struck exclusive titles that I think would make a pretty fine contribution to the Eclipse series. So we'll see what the future has in store. But uh, but for now, you know we are you know, we are once again uh, finished, and uh, we'll see when the next episode, if the next episode uh, comes around. So uh, we're finishing up this really impressive box set. Um, I guess my first opening take on these final three films that we're going to be talking about in this episode, by name, they are Dollar, kind of a smart, sophisticated comedy, uh, or Woman's Face, kind of a gritty, noirish type of thing. And then June Night, which is just another sort of dramatic showcase, another really exceptional performance by Ingrid Bergman. Uh, to me, I just felt like these films just kept getting better and better in this set. I, I really enjoyed the second half of the six that are contained in this uh, in this very you know, nicely decked out box. What were your impressions or kind of overall thoughts on, on these final three films, Trevor? So we talked last week about how they looked like they were going to be a variety of, of selections here. We've got one that's ostensibly a, a comedy and a kind of a, a screwball comedy at that. We've got uh, a noir film and we've got one that's still kind of noirish, but uh, quite a bit of psychological uh, issues as well going on. And Bergman handles them all so well that you know she's the most impressive part i don't necessarily think these are you know great films um that are perfect examples of their uh of their their genre or anything like that they are all good and they are all very well made they're they're very uh, a, a joy to watch just because the directors were creative and doing some fun things uh, but Bergman, man, she's 
she's just impressive all around, and, and she plays such different characters in each of them. I, I really am kind of used to seeing her in her Hollywood stuff where, uh, you know, she's great in it all, but she plays a Hollywood, <laughs> you know, um, kind of a character in all of them. In these, she's uh, a bitter woman in one of them. In another one, she's an even more bitter woman. <laughs> and in another one, she's a woman in hiding, in, in a sense. And so uh, just just watching her transform, um, the, the films are very good. And, and it really was just uh, one delight after another with each of them. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say any of these rank up in the classic canon, although they're really enjoyable and really intriguing and and partly it is because you're seeing different aspects of of Ingrid Bergman. I mean, even the the first 3, you know, we talked about sort of in her, you know, the, you know, her, in her youth and even some of those more minor roles, you're seeing a side of her that you know, she's capturing and expressing that, you're right, Hollywood kind of typed her as this kind of impressive, vulnerable, you know, uh, kind of deeply emotional, um, somewhat tragic type of character. And, and you know, you think about Casablanca and Gaslight, uh, you know, the, the this beautiful woman who's really in, in this excruciating conflict that, really, you know, wouldn't life be so much better if she just, you know, didn't have to deal with these awful predicaments. And we certainly get some of that here, but, but you're right. She, she, there's a lot of nuances in these different performances. And, and again, to me, I just, I, I really enjoyed, uh, watching her rise to the occasion, um, as each role that she was cast in here kind of asked her to bring out a different shade or dimension of, of a personality here some of which perhaps felt more compatible with who she naturally was and and you know others that might be a little bit of a stretch uh but yeah yeah they're all really well made they're entertaining uh they all have interesting premises so that as you're kind of in this world and investigating it through the you know the the perspective you know put forth by the directors and the other you know talents on you know involved in making these films i just found myself you know, just really intrigued, really engaged, and uh, yeah, just had a very enjoyable time of it this week. Although it, it felt pretty busy. It's like, well, I've got to watch three films. Plus, I also uh, fit in the fourth of the eight uh, titles available on Filmstruck, which oh. is called Only One Night. Not to be confused with June Night. And I think last time I referred to it as Just One Night. So <laughs> Only One Night, Just One Night, whatever. So um that, you know, maybe I'll talk a little bit about that uh, at the end of the episode because that's also very much worthwhile. Again, Ingrid's role is a little bit smaller, but still very prominent at that point in her career. She was definitely not, you know, build fifth or whatever she was in in uh, Spidenhelms. Um, so yeah, I I don't know any any other kind of preliminaries before we start getting into the uh, individual titles, Trevor. Well, I guess just a. Uh... Following up on what you did of going and watching Only One Night, as I made my way through these films, uh, I, I did really try to dig in a little bit more on what Bergman was up to during this time that is not part of this Eclipse series. Because 
I think there are three or four uh, films she made in Sweden during this time that we don't have here. And I kept seeing only one night pop up and, you know, I actually didn't look to see if it was available on Filmstruck. So I'm glad to hear that it was because it, it, it did keep coming up in the stuff that I was reading as another film that, that she, she worked on during this time. Um, apparently she didn't particularly uh, like it, but did it specifically so that she could play in either A Woman's Face or June Night. I can't remember which one hmm. was kind of the other deal. Like she Sort said, of a contractual obligation thing yeah. or a package deal proposal. Right? Yeah, she didn't want to do it, but said she would if she could also be in this other film. And I, I, right now my mind is blanking on which one it was because I didn't know um, that you would have watched it. Uh, but um, yeah, so, so it kept popping up and I just thought, ah, it's kind of, I'm glad this, I mean, this six film set yeah, um, there's no, there's not room for a seventh or eighth, you know. Yeah. I mean, it'd almost be better to have two eclipse sets in that case. But yeah, while, yeah. While, while, while we're on the topic, let me just go ahead and cover um, oh, good. one night. I then. hoped okay. I could push you into it. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> you twisted my arm, uncle, uncle. Okay, so you know, only one night is a story about it's, and the thing is, it's it's not really Ingrid centric as much as these these last three films are. Uh, it's really about a guy who uh, I can't remember the name. I don't have any of my notes in front of me, but it's about a guy who is a, uh, he's a kind of a carnival worker. He, he works for a traveling sort of a circus thing and he's, he's involved with a woman named Mortensen and she's the owner of this, uh, little enterprise and they, they set up shop, uh, one summer on the property of this rich old Swedish aristocrat. Uh, he's a widower. He never had any children, at least not legitimately. But he has taken in a youthful ward, uh, a, a woman uh, who has played by Ingrid Bergman. So she's she's kind of a foster child who's been raised by this man uh, with, with, of course, all the privileges of, of a good education and refinement. Uh, she's experienced traveling the world, and and she's you know you know obviously a beautiful young woman as you would imagine any role that Ingrid Bergman would play would be a beautiful young woman right so uh but it turns out as this as this old aristocrat is kind of wandering and, and looking at the carnival that's taking place on his grounds again without his permission he notices this one man dressed in a kind of a uniform and he says it has an uncanny resemblance to his his own father which there's a big portrait you know painting up on his wall and as it turns out this young man is the guy's illegitimate son oh he had a fling in his youth uh with a uh kind of a vaudeville singer and and when she told him that she was pregnant he just left a bunch of money on the table and walked away and never saw her again so now by mysterious circumstances he's been reunited with his long-lost son and as he's recognizing his life will be over soon he needs an heir uh, he decides that he's going to train this young man who's been used to kind of, you know, traveling and he's, he's done a little, little bit of everything. He's been a merchant and a sailor and, and a carnival worker and everything else. He's a, he's a horse trainer. I guess that's probably his, his most outstanding skill. And he decides he's going to train him to be an aristocrat so that he can take over the estate. The young man is brought into the inner circle, goes through all the experiences, but decides ultimately that this is just not the life for him. But the other thing is that the old man wants this guy, this uh, newly discovered son, to you know uh, marry his his ward, Ingrid Bergman, and so really she's just kind of there as a bit of a of a 
of the figurine uh, to be sort of married off to this guy until he decides that he's really not cut out for this life and he ultimately ends up going back to his yeah his his old you know relationship um and and that's supposedly the happy ending so ingrid's performance is just to kind of show up and be sophisticated and smart and maybe a little bit a couple cuts above in terms of breeding and pedigree and all of that to this guy who was actually the son of the aristocrat but uh has a more kind of wild spirit to him and doesn't really want to be domesticated into the comfy confines of uh, of the moneyed and privileged life but there is a pretty good scene at the end uh where ingrid really kind of gets to turn on the afterburners and and show her acting stuff so it's it's definitely worth checking out it's it, again another interesting well-made story from this uh you know uh, previously to me at least a completely obscure period of swedish cinema uh, so that's only one night. Uh, again, probably a, a wise choice not to include this in the box, but still worth checking out on Filmstruck if you want to really get the full Ingrid experience. Hmm. Well, I did find the passage I was thinking of about this particular film, and it says it's about it's a, a woman's face, and it says it's true that Bergman had fought for a woman's face. Dissatisfied with the part she was being offered, Bergman had engaged in a little ransom of her own. Svent's film, in- film industry wanted her to take the lead role in a romance called Only One Night, a script she dismissed as a piece of rubbish, <laughs> and that's in quotes, um, and agreed to do only if she could also star in the studio's new prestige drama, which, um, you know, both of them are by Gustav Molander, and um, that was, uh, uh, well, A Woman's Face was the result of that, so... Do you do you agree with her, or do you think it was just more her role? It sounds like you you thought her role was a little bit uh, lacking, um, and maybe the film wasn't super great. But uh, do you, did you find it was a piece of rubbish, or more just uh, well, you know, I'm not I'm not certainly looking at it from her perspective. Maybe, maybe that's true. I would, yeah, right. <laughs> she, I, I she's mean, building she's, her career, <laughs> right? And and she wants a showcase to say, let's take it to the next level. And no, this was not a performance or a role that would allow her to. Really, you know, like I say, there there was kind of this culmination scene where you know, because because they're both being kind of forced into this relationship with each other, and you know she's willing to give it a shot, but she realizes, and and they, they both realize they don't really have that spark, that chemistry, because they just are coming from two different you know perspectives in life. So I suppose. I don't know if you want to get into sort of the cultural critique here, which is. I don't know. Maybe the film is ultimately celebrating the the life of the common man at the expense of the aristocracy, or something. If there's a kind of a a polemical or a propagandistic aspect to it, it's not nearly as strong in that respect as Walpurgis Night was, you know, which we kind of already talked about. But I, I guess probably from an actor's point of view, her role was kind of trivial. She's an ornament, you know, rather than a, a really fully inhabited character she's kind of set up to be this kind of person whereas the three films we're going to be talking about today i think she's got you know some real grit and character and depth that ingrid could say yeah i can latch on to this i can i can take the presentation of who this person is and 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 grow it and 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 fill it out and and uh and make a more lasting impression oh well 
Thanks for going into that, David. Yeah, well, okay, so we'll, we'll clear the decks, and we'll roll backwards we, we, in time a little bit We did jump over here. one uh, film, I guess. Yeah, well, well, let's, well and so, yeah, let's go ahead and get the sequence uh, rolling uh, properly here, starting with uh, Dollar, which is, I guess, it's even in the liner notes kind of, uh, pre, you know, portrayed as a bit of a Lubitschian uh, sex comedy. This is not quite smiles of a summer night you might call it smirks of a winter's day or something like that. <laughs> hey, nice. uh yeah so what do you think of dollar uh, you want to do a little bit of a setup there or sure, I'll sure. Take, sure go ahead. so in this film it's an ensemble drama so i think your your comparison to smiles of a summer night is is quite nice because you've got these three couples uh bergman is a part of them and i'll go into a little bit of detail about them here in a second um and they are all friendly with each other, and at the same time, they distrust one another, and each of them thinks that their spouse is being unfaithful with one of the others, <laughs> and it just keeps going. And then they finally all head out on holiday um, to a very nice snowy location, and I believe that was all filmed on location from, from the liner notes, and it, it was just kind of a pleasant setting for all of this where their hijinks just keep on building, building, building until, you know, the the conclusion, which I, I guess we probably won't go into since this is maybe still a fairly uh, new film for many people. But at any rate, Bergman plays one of the, the ensemble uh, characters. Her name is Julia in this film. And she is the very wealthy wife of, um, of an industrialist named Kurt. And Bergman however, is very friendly with one of the other husbands, who's a fellow by the name of Louise, Louise, who is a gambler, and at the beginning of the film, he writes a check for to pay his gambling debts, which he cannot cash. And this sets up some of the initial trouble, because Bergman really wants to help him out. Her husband has no interest in helping him out. It sounds like they've had a history of trying to bail uh, Kurt or Louise out of things before, and he says, no, I'm not going to do it this time. He has to take care of himself if he can. And so what Bergman does is she goes and takes her stock in her husband's company and sells it in order to cover things for Louise. And that's that's kind of the kicking off point. So, you know, Louise's uh, wife, Susie, um, she thinks there's something going on because why else would uh, Julia come in and try to bail her husband out? And it just kind of keeps on uh, wrapping around itself. They, they call it kind of a screwball comedy. And I'm not sure I got that vibe, to be honest it's, with you. It's not screwball-y. I mean, this this is a story that could have been played off as a very serious, strife-ridden Yeah, and it melodrama. kind of is at times. <laughs> right, right. It, it, gets, it has that tone yeah, at times, especially yeah. Bergman's character. She's quite a bitter... Uh, I don't know if I'd... Bitter may be well, the wrong word, but she melancholy, is a Melancholy. Yeah, right, she's melancholy, right, yeah. and she's disappointed. She's cynical. Maybe cynical is a good word for it. She is constantly biting um, a back against all of the other characters. And some of the things that she says about her own relationship shows that she wants something more. Um, there's a line that it quotes in the liner notes that she says in the film a couple of times. She says, sometimes you feel so miserable that you'd gladly beg for such small lies. And... 
her husband turns around and says, well, I know that Kurt is very good at saying those things and not lying. So, you know, but it's not said for mm-hmm. a joke. It's said no, as right. a as a pretty honest statement of, I, you know, we do have a troubled relationship and I suspect that you and Kurt, you know, have more of a genuine um, romance than than you and I do. It's a it's a witty bit of banter, but it isn't played out as banter. It really is played out as something quite a bit more um, serious, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a real fight in a way. And even when, you know, you see Cary Grant fighting with his love interest in, in all the screwball comedies he's in, they are played for laughs. Sometimes uncomfortably so, because, it you know, they, they, they almost are borderline um, abusive in, in some cases. Um, but it's funny. Uh, whereas in in this one, it it is a little bit more serious throughout. I found even when they go off on holiday, um, it it still felt a little bit darker than your typical screwball comedy, which I was fine with. I, I love screwball comedies, um, and this was you know even though it was cast as that, and I kind of dismissed that notion and thought oh, I don't think this is really that. <laughs> um, right. I was very does- happy with this. It doesn't have that kind of frivolous, <laughs> we're having an affair, or we're getting divorced. Oh, this is my fifth <laughs> marriage. <laughs> you know, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. None, none of that really comes out. I mean, when when it gets to those moments of, of conflict and, and, and kind of heartbreak, I mean, there's there's some gravity here. There's some grief. Um, but, but at the same time, I mean, there are many humorous moments and and there is a a a bit of a silliness to it that you don't see in some of these other films so maybe it's just that nordic temperament can't quite (laughs) throw (laughs) off the shackles of of being earnestly concerned with the fact that you know there's there's some real uh, hurt going on here uh but yeah but so with with valor there's another couple too and they're kind of uh the kind of the straight couple i guess so uh katya and ludwig i mean they're also i mean it's kind of like this round robin of of uh, flirtations and again this is we're talking 1930s sweden here so it's not nearly as uh, sexy of a romp as smiles of a summer night or what would happen later on in the you know swedish film um but you know so so everything's all about you know hugs and 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 smiles and winks and things of that sort so you know and, and then the final element kind of comes in with uh, this this millionaire American woman, which is where the film gets its name, Dollar. You know, Dollar, like because that is the name of the film, and and they're talking about the American dollar, the uh, the American currency. This woman who has uh, recently come into uh, a, a large sums of money, she's coming to meet with uh, the this little trio of couples. At, at this mountain resort and she's also got this kind of uh, interest in alternative medicine you might call it using contemporary terms uh, she, she's a holistic homeopathic uh, uh, student of, of different uh, medical interventions and and the perfect opportunity falls into her lap as Susie uh, one of the women in this in this uh, 
in this little scenario, has a significant skiing accident while she's kind of out on the slopes. I mean, she's she's a little bit of a high-strung woman. Uh, she's very anxious to the fact that her husband, Luis, the inveterate gambler, is you know quite attracted to uh, Julia, the the wealthy uh, wife of the industrialist tycoon, and so you know all these intrigues are happening. And Susie even has her own little you know, suitor. Uh, that's that's Ludwig. I think he's he's the one who's kind of following after her. But that's really more incidental. It's not really like there's a real relationship there. But he likes to pay attention to her, so that everybody has their <laughs> little illicit partner, I suppose. Uh, Susie has a skiing accident. She winds up paralyzed, and there's a very conveniently a neurological clinic right next door to the mountain lodge. <laughs> isn't, that a, <laughs> isn't that nice, right? So so Dr. Johnston is this uh, self-described a Swedish mountain man, and he's, uh, he's the attractive love interest to this Mrs. Johnson, not Johnston, but yeah, so you got Johnston and Johnson going on here. Uh, so, so the woman, the wealthy American woman, is coming in you know, kind of taking her read of these couples because um, uh, was it Kurt the uh, yeah the the wealthy industrials he wants to kind of coax her millions to invest in his company, and of course Kurt's true love is his business, and that's kind of where Julia's bitterness comes in mm-hmm. is that she loves her husband. But he's really just a workaholic. He's all about the business, all about the deals, and she's basically a trophy wife, I guess is is one way of putting it. And she's just had enough of that, and that's why she's attracted to Luis, uh, the gambler, because he's full of passion and energy, and he just doesn't care. And and she kind of likes that romantic swagger that he projects, even though she knows he's also a pretty troubled soul himself. So. All of this is going on. All these machinations are, are cranking out there. Um, but, yeah, I, to me it feels like, you know, there, there's a bit of a, uh, you know, th- a theatrical thing going on. This this was adapted apparently from a play by uh, Henrik Bergman. Is that his name? Uh, Yalmar. Uh, Yalmar Bergman. So <laughs> there's just Bergman's galore oh, in this episode. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, so that's basically what you've got here. Is like, it turns out to be four couples at the, by the end of the film, all kind of going through their intrigues. And I guess the net result of all of this is it's just kind of a, a slightly farcical, uh, somewhat entertaining romp, uh, a, a bit of a well, uh, it's just it's just a bit of a a, a romantic comedy uh, set in a you know kind of a quaint little uh, place. You know this this mountain lodge. Um, there's the drama. Will Susie regain the ability to walk after her skiing accident or not? Uh, who will wind up together, and how will these tensions resolve themselves? And that's pretty much the gist of Dollar. So here's a question I have for you on it. Um, apparently, after the film was done. And this is before, even though Intermezzo had already been made and released, this is before Bergman had left um, Sweden to go and make the the remake of Intermezzo in America. So she's she's her star is is rising quickly in Sweden. Um, but Molander, when he watched the film after it was finished, realized that she was the main character, basically, or at least the central draw to the film. And so he put her name first in billing, even though 
you know, as far as his history, it should have gone to one of the other characters who had, it seemed a little bit more established by that time. But he just, he realized that she's popular and that she, her, you know, putting her first, she can withstand that burden in this film. And so I was curious to you, is that the central draw for you in, in Dollar? Um, and what do you think about, about her kind of outshining many of the other characters? I, I mean, I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, she she is my point of focus uh, in all the scenes that she's in. The rest of it is, you know, it's amusing enough. And, and I I didn't mind the other characters. I you know the 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 woman who plays uh, you know, Mrs. Johnston, the uh, the American. She's kind of funny. She's kind of a a smart dame. You know, she's not like you know she she you know she's not as gorgeous as even you know, the 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 Swedish woman in there. But she's she's perky. You know, she's she's got a little spunk and gumption to her. Um, although she also has her own comeuppance. So so you know there are definitely some interesting character roles there. Um, but but Ingrid really is the star. I mean I I think that's pretty pretty much undeniable there's going to be a star system almost in any national film industry and um and so you know there's always going to be a, a movie audience that says hey i want to see what this attractive character you know jennifer lawrence or or whatever you know in today's market uh you know she's in it okay i'm there because i want to see what she does because she's appealing to look at she is an probably going to take on an interesting character role uh you know once an actress or, or actor becomes of a certain prominence you just kind of want to see what are they going to do next uh just because of that intrigue and i think that's that's very clearly what you've got going on here uh, i wouldn't say the story itself is of such magnitude that it would stand alone on its own merits if uh, somebody other than ingrid bergman had been cast in it so yeah that's my take no, and I agree with you 100%. There's a sense that she is playing a very complex character, and I don't think that's all because of the script. I think a lot of it is because of her abilities to really dig in and, and pull this stuff out of the role. And it's mm -hmm. amazing because she's not really a particularly likable character. And yet she's the one you're drawn to and the one that you want to watch and the one that you want to see how it all pans out for her. The others are really just kind of window dressing in her story, but I don't think it was written that way. Right. Now, you know, her character is uh, a woman who's somewhat pent up. She's passionate. She's she's full of energy. Again, she's she's married to this very wealthy man who once worshipped her and, and made her feel alive and, and you know, uh, all the things that you feel when you're in a genuinely, you know, love-struck relationship. But, you know, as he's kind of mellowed into his, you know, middle life there. And, uh, and started to distrust her. I mean, oh, well, exactly, her because personality she, is one that, right. that makes him suspect her, and that mm -hmm. makes him pull away even more. Right. That's, that's, the, that's the tension of the conflict. You know, he's got his business thing. She's not satisfied with his diminished tensions and so she seeks her fulfillment outside of the confines of hearth and home so so his distrust is merited i mean she is she is flirtatious she is uh 
behaving in ways that suggest she would have an affair or maybe is having an affair and he just doesn't really know for sure. She's also got a strong temperament. And when he's trying to woo this wealthy American, he's saying, you know, keep your disastrous temper in order. And almost within moments or minutes after the wealthy American arrives on the scene, she's like right up in her face, kind of letting it rip because she recognizes this woman's sense of superiority and intelligence. And, you know, she's an American coming in to pronounce judgment on European and Swedish ways. So, you know, so the, 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 the seeds of conflict are instantly sown and, and are already bearing fruit. So, so you see that and, 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 but, but at the same time for all that, you know, ferocity and, and, uh, fierceness that Ingrid brings, she's also hurting. And, and, and again, she conveys that when, when she's given those moments to kind of open up and, and let the heart come out. Uh, she nails it and and again those are probably the most evocative scenes in the film i mean susie also has her own uh dilemmas you know she's married to kind of a scoundrel and and uh you know she's i think is she kurt's like sister i think she's also comes from wealth and Luis the gambler has kind of sapped that he's taken advantage of the fact that he's married a rich woman and has kind of lived off of her of of, of her inheritance and has wasted a lot of that. They also, there's a, a dead baby. They, they had a baby who, who died in infancy. So there's another element of heartbreak, but that again, just seems like sort of another kind of tossed in the mix type of ingredient <laughs> just to kind of create some pathos, but it doesn't really, doesn't really resonate as like a true reason as to why Louis has his gambling problem. Well, and it's it's kind of the difference in acting, I think. You know, those are the same types of elements that are built into uh, Ingrid Ingrid's character. Not not the exact same things, but you know, her her character is complicated by these other issues that you've already talked about. I think the difference is that the actress who plays Susie comes off mostly as just high strung. There's not yeah. a lot of nuance in her character that shows that she's dealing with all of these other aspects of her of her life. She just she's just stressed and high strung and it could be as simple as because it looks like my husband is having an affair with this other woman. And so the other things just kind of get washed out. I mean, they're almost things that you, I don't even remember about the film because they they're almost incidental to her character rather than part of this complex um, brew of things, which you get when you're watching Bergman play her role. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, again, and maybe it's just the familiarity of seeing Ingrid Bergman's face over the years in yeah. so many different films. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, wow, this is this I'm sure is cool. that's I mean, some of it. Yeah. It, it definitely is. And, and she is absolutely gorgeous in this film i mean it's just again you know she's a little bit older as she gets into her hollywood era but really just uh yeah and and you know it's it's it has that kind of sleek sophistication she's dressed in these kind of you know uh you know 1930s fashions these nice dresses and just just again there's just the whole way she comes across as you know is, is quite delightful so but yeah i will say that even though i'm sure that's part of it we've been you know training our eye to pick her out and we know that she's the star of this whole set and the reason that we're even watching these films in the first place and yeah i i get i don't know maybe i'm giving myself too much credit here i feel like when i put these in to watch them i don't necessarily care about that i'm really trying to to 
get as much as I can from the films so that we can talk sure. about them. And she yeah. she pulls my attention, you know, she really mm-hmm. does. So mm-hmm. I I think there's a part of that, but I do think that it's also because you know the reason that we've been trained to watch her is because she deserves it and and it demands it. So I, it's kind of a thing that builds on itself, I think, a little bit, and and I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right, well, this is probably a good time to switch our attentions over to A Woman's Face, the uh, role that Ingrid Bergman, you know, agreed to uh, to take on, or agreed to take on in only one night so that she could do this. Yeah, fought, uh, this, fought to take this one. Yeah. She wanted this role. Right, right. So, so yeah, can you say anything more about that little scenario? Because I, I wasn't aware of this kind of negotiation element here. I mean, it, it is a very... Um, intriguing role that she took on a, I think a, a, a really excellent performance and and a definitely a very gritty part that I could see from a an ambitious artist's perspective it's like yes this is going to challenge me this is something unique that uh, you don't get a chance to take on every day uh, and any other little tidbits from that little uh, you know uh, setup that that you've alluded to earlier uh, well, so apparently in her diary, and this is coming from the liner notes, she wrote that a woman's face was my own picture, my very own. I have fought for it. And um, then it also says that nevertheless, she was still worried that people would be a little bit horrified to see her this way. She had already been named the most popular um, actress in Sweden um, the year or two before. I think it was just the year before, after Intermezzo. And... This is also kind of going on at the same time. I mean, uh, uh, these three movies we've talked about already this episode are all from 1938. So this is all very much at the beginning of her career. And she you get the sense of someone furiously acting and looking for roles and documenting her successes and her failures and her, her reasoning for, for doing these various things. And here she is playing someone who has a, a, a horrific... Um, character at the beginning who has to transform into something that the audience will sympathize with so you definitely get the sense this is very challenging but she had the, I think she had the right amount of fear um, that this could could turn people away from her and it might have it is a pretty ugly um, role and a pretty awful premise for you know I'm, I was surprised at how dark this movie gets um, at the same time I think she's right that Doing these things force her to stretch even more, and man, she's just she's looking for difficulties um, in, in her work. She's looking to overcome uh, trials and and difficult roles, and I can definitely see why she fought for this one. So what she's what she's looking to do here is she's she's playing a very dark-hearted, bitter even just straight out corrupted character she's a a young woman who's fallen in with these kind of uh, professional long-time extortionists blackmailers who gather compromising information on people uh, and then lean in heavily to extract as much money and even there's a bit of it seems like there's a bit of sadism or anguish I mean, they sort of enjoy putting people of, of wealth and privilege in these highly uncomfortable, uh, compromised situations. And, you know, a, you know, it's quite astonishing as you see 
Ingrid Bergman, her face, uh, the left side of her face mangled and, and made up to you know resemble a, a hideous burn victim, uh, hanging out with these kind of sleazy old guys. <laughs> They're all probably in their 50s, 60s, or even older. And here's this young woman who's kind of keeping pretty bad company uh, as she gets involved in this in this plot to uh, confront a woman with some uh, you know some condemning letters there's uh, some letters that have been written to her by her illicit lover that uh, they're threatening to show to her husband another well-appointed wealthy man and if uh, she doesn't pay up uh, they're going to go ahead and, and ruin her life uh, so again, Ingrid's the compelling character in all of this, the way she sneers, the way she struts around, uh, the way she kind of just, you know, almost gleefully inflicts pain. That's a, that's a very bold proposition for Sweden's most <laughs> admired young actress. Yeah, and she plays this first part almost as if she's... Um in a monster movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. The way she kind of exaggeratedly covers her face, I mean, it's like, here's the Phantom of the Opera or, or mm-hmm. something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, a Lon Chaney take here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very dramatic, but in a compelling way. I I don't know if this is my favorite film of this week or if it's June night, but this one, you know, is, is worthy of it. I, I think that she does such a good job in, in her in her role here. And it's a character named Anna Holm, which just sounds like a name you would get from a true crime, you know, about some woman who had, who had this kind of vicious past. And I don't know why that's the case, but when I learned her name, Anna Holm, I thought that sounds familiar. And part of that could be because this was remade in America. Um, just a, a few years later, and I think it was starring Greta Garbo. Is that no jo- Joan Crawford? Joan Crawford. Okay, and I've yeah, never seen yeah. that one. I I saw a few video clips on YouTube. I I don't know that the whole movie is available on streaming. I and I would not have been able to fit the whole viewing in, but I did at least take a, a little bit of a look at it. And if you think about it, I mean that's this is a pretty good role for a Joan Crawford actor uh, t- type. I mean, and and Joan Crawford herself enjoyed playing you know, kind of hard-edged, complicated women. And, uh, you know, I, I I, would like to definitely check it out because I think it would be another, another interesting comparison and contrast with, uh, like, how Intermezzo was remade for American audiences and, uh, and for Hollywood fans around the world uh, by trimming 20 minutes and sort of streamlining the story in some ways. Uh, I think the American version is inferior, even though uh, it maybe is a little bit more palatable and to you know mainstream audiences uh so in that fake way that you can you Mm -hmm. can force a movie to become palatable so i read about the differences between the two and it's one where i think i would have a really hard time with the the choices it makes at the end in 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 many ways i feel like a a woman's face with uh, ingrid bergman's version tends to deal with its terror more appropriately Meaning, these aren't things you can just wash away. And it feels like, from what I saw, and this is coming from someone who just read about it, not not watched it, it sounds like the American version um, tries to do that little trick there at the end of the film where everything's hunky-dory and these characters can are, are fully 
changed and never again have to deal with terrible things that they've done in their lives. <laughs> it just is like a bright pathway before them. Whereas yeah, in this that... one, it's not that simple and a little bit more tragic. Not to say this film doesn't have its problematic pieces, which I think we'll get into, um, but it, it really does have a compelling and um, interesting look at how you can become redeemed in a way. Yeah, right. This is definitely a redemption story because you know we've we've kind of set up the beginning of the film here, but but what happens is that when when uh, Anna Holm Ingrid's character confronts the woman, you know, uh, she she's kind of interrupted in the act. the 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 husband comes home unexpectedly. Uh, Ingrid, uh, having accepted some jewelry that the, the wife was going to pay her in lieu of cash, uh, tries to get away, tries to sneak out a window, but in the process kind of stumbles and falls. It's like she, she's climbing on a table or something and trying to get out the window, but 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 everything collapses, and so she injures herself, and, uh, and in the process gets discovered by the woman's husband, who happens to be a doctor and a surgeon, uh, a plastic surgeon, and uh, his <laughs> his dedication to medical ethics is such that even though he's caught this apparent burglar red-handed with his wife's jewelry, he says, "Well, I need to take care of your health first. <laughs> my 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 calling is to 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 be a healer first and foremost." And so he you know he sets her foot, finds that that his her ankle is sprained or broken, and as he notices her facial deformities. Uh, he says, you know, I can do something about that as well. And so uh, the world's most successful ever plastic surgery takes place. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will tell you, medicine in Sweden is incredibly compelling after these three movies. Each of them has just these miracles of medicine going on. Each of them. Well, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Right. I can see why you know, they're very proud. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 we, we need to model our healthcare system after right. the Swedes. <laughs> So anyways, yeah, so there is a little, little bit of the dramatic reveal, the unbandaging and all of that that goes on. And then voila, there's beautiful Ingrid Bergman. Although, you know, you know, they they still try to, you know, keep her her face partially concealed. There's a little bit of camera tricks and things going on like that. And and you know, she still bears the habits and and emotional scars even though her her face is cleared up quite nicely as she sets out on this new path in life because all of a sudden the this chip on her shoulder that has driven so much of her criminal activity and her uh, you know aggression and and her you know just her contempt towards her fellow humans uh, that's just not as as strident as it once was because her her scars and this gross injustice of this uh, what turns out we'd learned to have been a childhood wound that's been taken away from her and, and now she can literally face the world uh, in a new way so yeah, um, yeah take it from there well it turns out that that childhood wound that she suffered from the fire was also a fire that took her parents lives and so this this terrible accident um, take you know it feels just like the world is an awful ugly place and I get that you know it really would you you have an accident that kills your parents take makes you an orphan and also leaves you scarred so that people don't 
trust you, don't want to be with you, you know, make make you uh, kind of an outcast in society. And so she adopts this this criminal role. And I, I think that that makes sense. It's all fine. It is something that I think is also a little problematic. You know, it's this, it's this old trope of if you're a villain, you also have some kind of physical deformity, which is very insensitive to people who do have physical deformities and are not villains, which is, I think, the great majority of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just... It, so there, there is that unfortunate... Uh, metaphor of ugliness on the inside is kind of uh, manifest with some deformity on the outside, something that, that, that sets you apart and, and shows some kind of twist and warping and uh, not everything is, is, is well. And once that is gone, you know, I can't, I imagine this is a little bit uh, tricky as well. Once that is gone, she is able to rethink her life and become a good person. Um, it's not that easy, but in her mind, her transformation is 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 that way. The problem is, in this, she's still a part of the criminal world and trying to escape it now, and that that is problematic. And and so she is put in a new situation where she is sent to be a governess um, and. It is part of another criminal plan where it, it's pretty horrendous. Um, it, part of it is is to um, kill the little boy that she, is in her care. And that is something that she obviously changes her mind, doesn't want to do. But the criminals start to understand that she um, isn't going to do this. And they start to understand the reasons. Uh, part of it is that she actually... Um, does kind of have a thing for the father of this little child and starts to really care for her family and starts to just want to do well and not cause more pain, which is something she used to delight in. And, you know, it, it that's that's really where the film gets its darkest, I think. And it's uh, it was kind of shocking to me. Right, well, she has a thing for the father, but she also has a thing for the boy. I mean, there's this true, maternal true. Yes, side. Yes, yes. And, and, and right, right. So she, there's a tenderness that's awoken in her. And again, it's it's predicated on the fact that she's no longer this monstrous figure. She doesn't have this hideous, deformed face, uh, which, again, you're right. It kind of gets into some uncomfortable sort of, uh, I don't know, visualist or whatever, uh, kind of territory in terms of if you are attractive, you're noble and virtuous. If you're ugly, then you're kind of a a creep and a person to be suspicious of or concerned about. So, you know, it it could be faulted for playing a little heavy-handed along that line. Now that she's pretty, she wants to be uh, a, a caretaker, and she's compassionate, and she's sensitive now. I mean, that so yeah, it definitely plays into some dangerous stereotypes. So it, there does seem to be sort of a, a little bit of a, a lack of enlightenment here. But you know, from a from the perspective of just a redemption story, a woman who's been given a new chance in life, an, an opportunity perhaps to you know, atone for some of her past mistakes and indiscretions, uh, you know, redemption stories are always popular. People always appreciate a tale that allows them to have a hope for a better future, uh, whether that's based on their personal experiences of kind of wayward youth or or other kinds of uh, failures. Uh, the fact that, 
you know, tomorrow can be better than today. Uh, I don't have to be a victim of my past. You know, so, so there's the natural appeal of that. And again, uh, there's the appeal of just watching Ingrid Bergman kind of go through this character transformation process. Uh, and there's some moments of genuine suspense because you don't exactly know where this story is going to go. Yeah, yeah. And and again, not being an American story, we talked about this when we did our, our, our French series. <laughs> you know, you, just, you don't yeah. ever know if they're going to kill the little boy. You know, they really right. might get, they might do <laughs> right, it. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, Hollywood, you don't have to worry about right. that too much. But in Sweden, boy, they could get pretty dark. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, I really did enjoy this one. And I I think all of the films in this set are rewatchable. Um, mm-hmm. This one oh, is yeah. one that I, uh, I've thought about most since watching it, though, and I think because of the complexities of, of her character and also the the very blatant uh, problems with the film's uh, conceit and the, the, the way that it goes about, um, you know, exploring that. But that's, that's, that's something that is around still and has been around since art began. I mean... It is. It's its own area of study in art. Is is how these physical deformities represent some uh, problem with the soul, and how we try to cope with that and the the effects of that on on people with um with handicaps and physical deformities, and so I've been thinking about it a lot with it. But you know, if I boil that down and and kind of take that away. It's still a really compelling movie, and she does a great job showing this transformation. It isn't instantaneous. It's not like she becomes beautiful and all of a sudden has a pure heart and wants to do good. It's it's not quite that simple for her, and it, which makes sense. This is this is a completely new person in a way, and she has a new perspective on herself. And people do treat her better, and that's mm-hmm. what kind of starts to spur. And that's sad, but that's what starts to spur her desire to do better and to become someone who also treats people well. And there's just, there really is a lot going on with that transformation that's uh, above and beyond the, the story's tensions and, and suspense and criminal side that I find really compelling. And again, I just think Bergman does such a good job of working through and um, manifesting all of those nuances and complexities of the transformation not just waking up good you know when she has her surgery right no no there's definitely struggle you see some of her old habits and instincts the way she kind of brings her left hand up to kind of block her cheek and 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 eye uh even after the surgery has repaired that damage it's still sort of in her uh she's not used to being spoken to directly or being admired or being appreciated because she's been this the victim of rejection for so many years so yeah you, you know that sense of her struggle and her adjustment and just kind of orienting herself to this new possibility in life uh, again it, this is really what what comes through in her performance even above the uh, you know the plot machinations which are which are interesting of, of in their own right, you know, because again there is some some genuine uncertainty as to where the story goes, and um, and what's motivating the other characters in, in the story as well. You know, like I say, she's she's got um, you know different people that are sort of uh, drawing her in. I mean, the the wealthy uh, 
presumptive heir to the family fortune who's also quite corrupted and is in on this plot to murder the the young boy uh that's another pretty chilling element here so you you get some you know sort of almost gothic type of things going on here and 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 so yeah right there you know we we focus rightly on ingrid's performance and 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 the 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 transformations of her character but there's other things happening here that i think are are pretty intriguing and, and definitely held my attention as the story was unfolding yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's switch it on over to June Night. This is the last film in the set, and uh, it uh, yeah, it, it's pretty astonishing film in, in many ways. I mean, this is definitely one that I guess if you had to say this is I I, I don't know maybe maybe we'll have a discussion about this. Is this is this Ingrid's Swedish masterpiece? Is this the one that kind of belongs right up there in the canon maybe not with Casablanca not with Gaslight uh, maybe not with Autumn Sonata from a very far end of her career but to me this is a really a pretty pretty incredible film just again uh, she's already gone to Hollywood she's fulfilling her contract here in Sweden uh, but it's 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 pretty gripping movie uh, one that I'll definitely want to rewatch again even though I've already gone through it a couple times so it starts with a very uh stunning opening scene where she's shot in the heart and her boyfriend's to blame and he gives love a bad name <laughs> okay so so yeah i mean uh, you know i i guess I, I i was very impressed with this film uh what's what's kind of your opening salvo on june night yeah i i was too i think this is a complicated uh film in a good way you know whereas whereas a woman's face was a little bit uncomfortable um i found this one really grappling with important issues of gender dynamics and double standards and 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 a desire to get away from a past and you know again swedish medicine this woman is shot (laughs) through the heart and that is not just like uh, a metaphor from David there at the beginning. That is literally the beginning of this film, and she is saved uh, by a Swedish surgeon once again. Just like Susie is is in the, <laughs> you know, has there's a, a nice medical facility up on the mountain that can take care of her, uh, just like the plastic surgeon can repair um, the this burn victim's faces. This one is able to prevent um, death, the almost almost certain death from a bullet through the heart. And, um, and it is her boyfriend who does this. And, you know, I just, I, I, I read some other pieces on this one that uh, kind of criticized it as being soap opera-ish and overly melodramatic, and I didn't feel that way at all. I, I actually thought that it handles these elements uh, very nicely and with nuance and not just for kicks and drama. You know, I, I don't know. Do you, do you, did you get right, in a whiff no. of that? No, no. I mean, to me, this is like a, a pretty significant and serious exploration of of a woman's ability to just sort of have a fling, to just sort of uh, pursue a romantic adventure. And, you know, should she have to bear, I mean, these are pretty heavy consequences. But, you know, the, the, the premise here is that she's a young woman who's, 
you know, decided that she just kind of wants to have an adventure. I mean, she even uses those the, so many words. She she flirts with a young man. Um, he gets aroused and excited, but then after she's had her fill of it, she's she's had her fun and wants to move on, which is a privilege. Let's let's just face it. I mean, society normally grants this right to young men to do the same thing with young women. Uh, you know, get their kicks, uh, enjoy it for a fortnight, and then say, "Okay, honey, I'm I'm moving on. You're not the right one for me." In particular, from the I don't know what you could call a more traditional chauvinistic sexist perspective. It's like, well, if you're the kind of woman who'd allow me to sleep with you while we're still dating, you're probably not the kind of woman I want to have as a wife. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, the roles are kind of reversed here. Uh, Ingrid has, again, kind of moved on and, and, and this guy can't handle that. And he resorts to violence. Um, as, as it comes out later in the film, he was going to, kill himself to punish her <laughs> at least that's his uh, alibi and he's sticking to it right but because she smirks at him and doesn't take him seriously enough of course that justifies his his willingness to try to murder her and uh, he actually says that with a straight face to the judge in the courtroom uh, as if guys don't you understand that's just how things these things go right <laughs> so so let me off the hook because i'm just doing what any reasonable red-blooded male of the species would do uh to me this this whole film sort of challenges that premise but but it does so in a way that's not you know it's not heavy-handed it's not ludicrous it certainly does not seem soapy or or excruciatingly overwrought at all i i I think this is a pretty good look at at a lot of a lot of different uh sides of this whole issue even even in the including the way that's exploited in the media and pop culture of the time yeah, and I guess that's where the film becomes a little bit surprising because, yes, it's it's another Bergman film. It's her last film that she's making in Sweden. You know, she's already made Intermezzo in America and is about to return. You know, we know what's on the horizon for her. And she goes back for this film, and yet it's another ensemble piece because the other characters and how they're dealing with what her character, um, Kirsten, has done that's kind of where the the film lives and dies is how the news responds, how other women are responding, how the men are responding, um, and, and how they're dealing with these events in this young woman's life. You know, whether you agree with her or not, um, you get the sense that, you know, she didn't ask for and doesn't deserve this amount of scrutiny. Um, but it's a whole society, it's a whole culture that's trying to deal with you know, with what what has happened here, because you know the news the news of her near murder becomes uh, national and and uh, to the extent where she needs to she needs to leave. She doesn't want to stay in her small town anymore, so she moves to Stockholm, adopts another name to try and get away from it all. Um, but you know that's not as easy as it sounds. But there there are many many characters here, um, each with their own. Uh, motives, each with their own um, histories and and desires, that that come to the foreground here to to uh, make their way into this story. That even though it's still Bergman's story, this one might be the one where, uh, for me, as great as she is, 
the others are just as good or or pretty darn close, you know. Whereas the other ones I we we've mentioned, she's kind of the highlight, you know. Even going back to the very first film, The Count of the Old Town, you know, there are a lot of great characters there, um, and and she is among them as another as another great character, uh, with not a lot to do, but who makes the most of it. In this one, I I would say that it kind of uh, rivals that and and makes the other the side characters uh, very interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's kind of get into some of the the details here. We've we've got a a, a photographer who captures a couple of you know prize images. What is she like, the wounded swan or something like yeah, that? I think or, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so 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 and again, it's the intrigue of this beautiful young woman uh, who's gotten involved in this sensational, scandalous affair. You know, almost killed, but she pleads for leniency for her boyfriend because she deserved it. And you know, it's just like, wow, what a what a compelling figure, what a what a fascinating, uh, exceptional story this is. And and everybody wants to find out more about this woman, but of course, she's hounded into the underground, and she she takes on a new identity. She relocates, uh, kind of gets lost in the city. But then there's a reporter who's chasing after her. He's an interesting character. There's the switchboard operator who's the girlfriend of the reporter. Uh, but then she also, <laughs> by mere, sheer coincidence, winds up as a roommate for uh, <laughs> the, the character. Um, what, what's her new name? Sarah? Uh, Sarah. Sarah. Yes, yeah, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, Nordano or something like that. Yes, yeah, sir. Nordano. So, 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 she, and even the, 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 uh, Kirsten's character, she takes on this romantic new name and it's kind of like the, she's, she's really starting her life fresh or trying to. And, uh, there's the newspaper publisher. Again, a very interesting cast of, of, uh, you know, sometimes eccentric, but, but always very memorable, interesting characters as, as we sort of follow this scandal, uh, into the underground and in, into its reemergence. Uh, we have another, we have another character named Gherkin <laughs> from kind the, of the, the old town guy. there. Yeah. The pickle guy. <laughs> exactly. Full circle. So well. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, doesn't the Eclipse series just do it right, you know, by, by bringing it all around like that. So yeah, I, to me let me think here where do i want to go in the conversation it is it's just it's just watching uh all these characters kind of come to grips with this with this story i i like the scene with the, with the when the newsmen are all deciding what's the angle that we want to pursue here is this about the rebelliousness oh, I know, I know. of today's youth or is this kind of a lost generation seeking to find its own identity <laughs> i mean how often do we see the same thing happening very much in our own society and how diametrically opposed yeah. are both viewpoints right. i mean it's it oh, really right, is right. you go one way on the spectrum or the other way and it's a choice you know in the moment yeah yeah, yeah. Is it because the older generation has failed in their upbringing, or is it just because kids these days are all entitled and smug and presumptuous and don't know what the real struggle is all about? Or, or is <laughs> it really just this yeah, yeah. this kind of uh, whorish girl here? You know, this very oh, right, particular right. Uh, woman right. who's who's awful, or is she the victim? You know, right. uh, you know, it, it's it's so. Yeah, all this, over the place. Yeah, this, this shameless tease who led this good man astray, or you know, this toxic male, you know, angry, you know, uh, womanizer who's just out to you know, 
retaliate in fury when his desires are scorned. <laughs> well, you know, nothing new under the sun, as they say. Uh, but yeah, so she's you know, so so Kirsten is brought into uh, the care of this this doctor, and he he again he's kind of the the wise old sage who kind of gives her the you know the direction to sort of say let's let's take on this this new this this new orientation in life uh let's 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 start things from scratch let's let's kind of erase the past and go forward from here um but even when she finds herself among women who presumably might have some sympathy for her uh, as her story gradually begins to get pieced together she finds herself on the on the shaming end of some female rivalry as well well, yeah, I mean, she really there. There are even more characters than we've than we've talked about. She does have a chance at a at a real, uh, uh, more genuine uh, love affair. But even that one's complicated, and the the women in in the story are are threatened by her experience. I'm thinking back to our conversation that we. Excuse me, I'm thinking back to our conversation that we had about picnic at Hanging Rock, where mm. you've got some girls who have been through something and that's a uh, Bergman's character here that the other women are intrigued by and repulsed by and uh, jealous of, and also, you know, condemning of, and it really does play out in, in some complexity here with her, with the folks that she gets to know in, in Stockholm. Um, yeah, there, there really are just a, a lot of things going on in the, in this picture um and I, I agreed i can't i can't figure out where the where the soap opera uh, criticisms have come from and it's one that i i did only watch once but i'm you know like mm-hmm. most of these i'm very excited to watch them again this is definitely a set and and a film in the, in particular in this set that i think will reward getting to know it just like we've gotten to know her other pictures that she made in hollywood yeah yeah, yeah. so she she befriends this nurse Osa, I mean, it's, it's spelled A-S-A, but it's got that little circle at the top of the A, so I guess it's pronounced Osa. And and they are kind of like the kind of two female leads, and, and it turns into, eventually, over, over the course of some time, into a bit of a romantic rivalry as the young blonde-haired doctor that they both, uh, I mean, Osa and, and the doctor are definitely a couple, and then it all sort of unravels at the end when he decides, well, you know what, uh, he's got this thing for Sarah slash Kirsten, and, uh, <laughs> and it kind of goes off in that whole other direction. But, but you know, Kirsten's uh, um, intentions of trying to conceal her identity, uh, to really leave her past behind, the anguish that she's feeling as she lives in fear, you know, continual fear of detection and and discovery, and then having to explain and apologize. I mean, again, it's just, just another really excellent performance as she's, uh, to me, you know, Ingrid Bergman is very convincingly carrying this weight of dread. And I think, again, that's another kind of defining aspect of her more famous films is this kind of this dread of discovery she's got this secret uh she knows that things will get you know pretty pretty messy pretty complicated pretty heartbreaking if the truth is known and uh 
and yet she doesn't really necessarily deserve to be in the position that she's in, but she just has to bear up under it anyways. I mean, that seems to be maybe this recurring theme that uh, Ingrid Bergman was known for and, and, and was able to convey and capture so memorably in, in so many different ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't know how much further we need to analyze the particular details of the film. It's, it's, it's memorable and, and I, to me, it is probably the one that I'd say, yeah, if, if I had to pick out the standout, to, there's just, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth here. Um, the, the different arcs of the characters, um, seem to have kind of this, uh, the weightiness to them that, you know, there are winners, there are losers, uh, there are, uh, rational decisions made. There's some impulsive, irrational things going on as well. And that, that is just kind of how life is. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's and, and I guess what the June night, I guess is, is, is a little bit of that summer celebration. This kind of culminating spectacle is where the title comes from. There's a particular evening where things come to a head. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. This is the, the set just kept getting, better as we dug more into it i think you know it started with a good film the count of the old town and then one that i think we both were a little mixed on maybe more on the negative side valpurgis night but then it it really hit its stride with intermezzo and i feel like these three that we talked about today just kept that going um until we get to june night i mean this is a very fitting conclusion to her the, the the start of her career you can see why all of this is ushering her to hollywood um, I don't think it's right to view these as just um, stepping stones um, to to her next step because she is digging into them and really trying to make each of them unique and, and special in its own right um, at the same time she is building that career. And, uh, you know, this is this is it. She's she's gone now. She's she's left Sweden for for, I don't know, geez, almost 30 years before she comes back and makes another film in Sweden and that's toward the end of her life uh, it's you know it's it's the end of an era and the beginning of of a new one do, do you think so let's let's do some speculation or ruminations here so Ingrid Bergman what if she had maybe out of uh, loyalty to her husband and family uh, decided just to stay in Sweden and just make Swedish films um, you know we think about uh, Setsuko Hara or Hideko Takamane or other women in Japan just to build a nation where they had legendary careers in the Japanese industry and never came over to Hollywood. Do you, do you think if Ingrid Bergman had continued just to make Swedish movies and this had been sort of the early stage of what went on to become the rest of her career, uh, she would be revered in the same way. I don't know. It's a completely <laughs> an empty, random speculation. But do, you, but do you think that these films establish her as a figure of st- enough strength, or do you think her subsequent fame was just contingent on going to Hollywood and doing the things that she did? I I think that it's Casablanca. I mean, if, yeah. if not for those, you know, my, my parents don't watch a lot of movies, but they know who Ingrid Bergman is. And that's because oh, sure. of Casablanca. Yeah. And that's because of, uh, you know, work with Hitchcock. Um, I, it's not even because of probably my favorite one, Gaslight. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's because of Casablanca and just the, 
the screenplay and the the way that that is just all over American culture that makes her so uh, big uh, here. And I don't think, you know, even kind of setting that aside as an anomaly and looking more at the trend, I I don't think so. You know, there are plenty of actors and actresses from the 30s and 40s that did, you know, as we've dug into these Eclipse sets, we can see that they are just doing tremendous work. Um, but I don't think they have ever been given the due that they deserve, you know, for for all of this work. Um, even Ingmar Bergman, you know, he was coming on the stage pretty quick after uh, Ingrid left. Would he have used her? I don't know if he would have, you know. I think that she uh, would have been, you know, especially for the initial part of his career, I don't think she really would have... She would have been above his status as a newbie director. She would have said, well... Yeah. You know, come come back to me later, right? Uh-huh. right. And so I think that because of that, I mean, I, I, who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah. But I do think it was necessary for her to leave in order to reach the stature she what she got. And to the extent that I don't even think she would have come close had she stayed there and kept making films of this type. You know, she mm. would be known by um, film lovers who really d- dig into Swedish cinema. Um, but I think Bergman, I think Ingmar Bergman would have eclipsed even that, um, and taken over just like he did with the international, uh, audience with Swedish films to the, to the extent that she would have been a curiosity for most of us. She might've been very well respected in many circles, just like the actresses that you mentioned earlier, but I, I don't think, well, yeah, I mean uh, that's true. Yeah, I mean she's a she's a global superstar because of Casablanca. I think primarily because right. Okay, you know what? My computer is telling me that my storage space is running low, so I better wrap up this episode <laughs> because I got some files to delete after we're done with this. So, uh, you got a new Mooks and Gripes uh, on the way, Trevor, uh, on your podcast happening soon. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I, I do. I'm working on a couple of episodes. Uh, one is going to be a reading of a story, and I have ma- major performance anxiety there. Um, and the other one is going to be a podcast about the year 1922 in literature. Those should oh, be coming within the next month. That that rings my bell. I think there was a little uh, little uh, short novella, Ulysses, or something that came out that year. Yeah, just, <laughs> I, yeah I think that might be one of the ones I bring up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, always great to talk to you, Trevor. Who knows when we'll do this again? But I know you're going to be uh, on the eclipse or on the uh, Criterion Reflection soon enough with Costa Gavras, The Confession. I think you and Ooh, Jordan yeah. and I are going to be getting together in a few weeks or so. We'll figure out a date and time for that. So thanks for listening, everybody. I got to go now. So take care and we'll talk to you somewhere down the road. Thank you.